So we continue our sermon series on what was Jesus thinking as we walk through the rest of our summer and like highlighting some specific words that Jesus had to share. But before I dive into the scripture, I just want to extend my thanks to Leah coming to share with us this morning. Thank you so much, Leah. We appreciate you and just your incredible talent. I believe that she's going to be studying and continue her education at Florida State, and uh, we're grateful for um, and uh, for her to come and share with us this morning. So um, let me begin. And so as, as you all shared, I shared with you all, we're going to focus on the uh, Sermon on the Mount, um, the greatest sermon ever preached, um, Jesus' words. I mean, you, I mean, you get from A to Z. And we're gonna, I'm going to actually break this down. I'm going to walk through the whole Sermon on the Mount. So hold on. I've got a lot to talk about um, uh, this morning. And so uh, let me just begin by reading um, a, a couple of verses to uh, get us started. So uh, beginning uh, from the Matthew, the fifth chapter. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to speak, and he began to teach them. And then verse, uh, cha- excuse me, chapter 7, uh, the uh, 24th verse, this is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and then the rain fell, and the floods came, winds blew, and the beat upon the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. Anyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So let me begin with this. You know, I'm going to share with you a 45-second commercial. Uh, actually, it's a little video I found. And when I started thinking about the Sermon on the Mountain, um, I heard this, something this week, and I thought, you know, once the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' greatest teaching, okay? And what I found is really compelling is that Jesus was raising the bar. He didn't set the bar low. He set the bar high for all of us to how we're supposed to live our lives. So when I thought, started thinking about raising the bar, I thought about this guy. So let me watch this little video. Here we go. Did you get that? Today it's universal. So uh, prior to 1968, nobody had ever heard of a guy named Dick Fosbury, uh, but Dick, they, now they call that the Fosbury flop. And so uh, back to, I think it was actually 1963 is when he was uh, high jumping, and um, he, as he mentioned in that um, video, he, was a, you know, he wasn't very good, and uh, he was actually, uh, he's like six foot four when he, um, and so it was very unorthodox for someone who's tall and lanky of him. It was very difficult. So he decided to do something totally different. So he did everything wrong, according to standard. He was jumping off the wrong foot. He was running, he was jumping backwards rather than forwards, and yet uh, what that got Dick Fosbury was a gold medal and the Olympics in 1968. And so when I thought about that, I thought that was an amazing feat. I mean, the idea of raising the bar, but he figured out a whole new way. And now everybody, if you go, a matter of fact, the Olympics are going to be on next uh, next year, and I guarantee you nobody's going to be doing the old style. They're all going to be doing his style. He revolutionized the way of being able to raise the bar. And so when I thought about this this week, I thought, you know, Jesus is trying to get us to raise the bar the bar in our lives. And so he gives us this great teaching beginning in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And so I went this week and I found some great sir, uh, quotes. I, I mean, I, if you, I love looking at uh, history, but I also look at people, what people talk about different topics. And so I found a couple of people who I thought maybe you've heard of. One of them, his name is Franklin Delavar Roosevelt. You ever heard of that guy? This is what he had to say about the Sermon Mount. He says, no greater blessing could come to our land today than a revival of the spirit of religion 
I doubt if there is any problem in the world today, social, political, or economic, that would not find a happy solution if approached in the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount. N.T. Wright wrote this, Jesus himself as the gospel, as the gospel story goes on to his dramatic conclusion, lives out the same message of the Sermon on the Mount. He is the light of the world. He is the salt of the earth. He loves his enemies and gives his life to them for them. He's lifted them up on a hill so the world can see. And then Oliver Wendell Holmes, this is my favorite. Most people are willing to take the Sermon on the Mount as a flag to sail under, but few will use it as a rudder by which to steer. The Sermon on the Mount. So I was having dinner with um, Tony Morgan the other night. Tony is a, a brilliant man. He, um, uh, him and his team, it's called Unstuck, and uh, we actually hired them as a consultant to help us think about the future of our church. And so he has a whole team around him. He has people all over the country, and he actually is stationed out of Atlanta. I heard about him several years ago. One of my friends suggested maybe to reach out to him. And so we actually hired him because we just want to be able to do the very best for the kingdom of God. And so we thought, how can we move our church forward? How can we actually look at some different ideas and have somebody who does this professionally come and sit down with us and talk about what is our, you know, how do we tweak our vision or how do we continue to move our vision forward and how do we move the kingdom of God forward? So we came and we, um, uh, this is the second session. And so um, Don and I took him and his wife, um, Emily, out to dinner the other night. And um, we had a really nice time. And so we were, you know, Don and, um, well, between our families, we have nine kids. So that tells you what we talked about, right? So they have four, we have five. And so Don and Emily were talking. And then at the very end of our conversation, so Tony was talking. And uh, somehow we got on the topic of the Holy Land. And, um, and so I said, well, have you ever been? And he says, no, but we're going to go this spring. I said, oh, wow. And he turned to me and says, have you ever been? I said, yeah, I've gone 10 times. And so, yeah, and so we started talking about the Holy Land. And I started, you know, telling him, there's nothing like the Holy Land. I, now, of course, well, that got me all jazzed up. And so I started talking about the Holy Land, about places you need to go, and things you need to do. And, and um, we started talking specifically about the Sea of Galilee. And I said, there's no place like in the world like the Sea of Galilee, because when you go out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and they turn the boat, you go out on the boat ride, and they put you in the middle of the boat, and you, Emma, you can just go and look all around you and look at the history that you find all around the Sea of Galilee, the greatest things that Jesus did you find around the Sea of Galilee, the greatest teachings around the Sea of Galilee, where he walked on the water, where he had a conversation with Peter, do you really love me? It's right over there. Or where he healed the demonic, it's right over there. Or where he healed um, uh, Mary Magdalene, it's right over there. Everywhere you go, when you go in the middle of that lake, you can look all around and point here, here, here. Jesus walked there. So then we talked a little bit about the Sermon on the Mount. And so, you know, it's interesting this week, and so I actually got a couple of pictures of this sermon uh, where this actually, so this is the Church of Beatitudes. I love going there. It's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. It's overlooks on just on the other side of the hill, and this is inside um, the, uh, the little chapel there. Matter of fact, the Pope has actually gone. There's a place there. There's a picture of the Pope who's there, gone to worship. It's a small little tiny chapel. And so this is, and then this is um, something, this is Mount Arbel, and right across the other side of the lake, just down the road, and I, someone suggested this last week, and I just thought for myself, you know, and maybe there's something true. Can you hold that slide there for a second? Maybe the traditional site is the other place that I just showed where they put the, uh, what they call it, a mountain, or the um, Church of the uh, Beatitudes. But he suggests that maybe that's where the, Jesus had the Sermon on the Mount. Which I never thought about that. Mount Arbel is one. And so can you go to that last slide of the Mount Arbel? This is, and so there could be a way that people could actually go on the side of the hill and actually Jesus could have taught. And if you go to the next slide, you can actually see what it looks like on top of that mountain. It's beautiful. 
And I know for a fact Jesus had to go up there to pray. You know, we hear over and over again, you read the teachings of, and, the, and the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Jesus is always going somewhere to pray. And so he, a lot of times it said he went up to the mountain, up to the mountain, up to the mountain. And without a doubt, there's only so many mountains around the Sea of Galilee, and there's the main one. So I never thought maybe Jesus actually did a sermon on the mountain, Mount, Mount Arbel. So we talked a little bit about that, and I just thought it was an amazing time to be able to talk about the Sea of Galilee and about Jesus' teaching. So let me just begin by reading something real quick for you all, because, you know, if you want to understand the Sermon on the Mount, you got to understand, or have you heard this, the story before the story? Okay, so... This Matthew 5, I just read the beginning of the sermon, the uh, beginning part of the sermon about, but what's really powerful before you get to 5, you got to go to 4. And so this is just before 4, right? So, I mean, just before 5. Jesus went through, uh, throughout the galley teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and curing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So his fame spread through all Syria and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains and demonics and epileptics, epileptics and uh, paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decropolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Wow. So in other words, what's interesting is that people, Jesus, I call this the big mo. Jesus is beginning a whole lot of momentum. People are hearing about this, this guy named Jesus and what he was doing and how he was curing diseases. And he became like a rock star. People started to follow him. And so they found him down the Sea of Galilee because that's where he was at. And so at some point in the midst of all of this, these people following around, they're coming from all around. Jesus stops and he begins to teach his disciples. And there's this multitude of people listening in the conversation as he begins to teach his disciples. And in the midst of that, we have the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you go back and look at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we have what we call the Beatitudes. And so the Beatitudes have to do, and they have, well, and here's the, maybe put that first slide up about the Beatitudes. And so happy, so happy are the people who are hopeless because the kingdom of God, uh, kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. So there's different translations, obviously. You can go to Bible Gateway. You can see like 64 different uh, versions of that particular verse or verses, right? So I picked the common English version and it talks about happy or blessed. And so when you look at that, you have to ask yourself, okay, what was Jesus thinking when he talked and gave us these words, happy are people who are hopeless. Well, that doesn't seem like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And what I think what Jesus is getting at, and maybe what Jesus was thinking, is that maybe when you look at the people who were following Jesus, so if you read, if you read verse chapter 4, the beginning part of the Sermon on the Mount, who are the people who are coming? There were a bunch of hopeless people. There were people who were destitute. There were people who were... You know, they were afflicted. They were people held in oppression by the Roman Empire. And there was not a lot of hope for all these people who were coming to Jesus. And Jesus came to give them hope. And what's interesting, if you look at the word, and even the word righteousness, and the word righteousness also can be translated the word into the word justice. 
And so I think maybe what Jesus is talking about here is that maybe someday he's saying, listen, there's, you may feel downtrodden. You may feel as if you're in oppression. Maybe you feel as if that you continue. There's, there, absolutely, there's no hope. But I'm telling you, there is going to be hope for you because someday there's going to be this great reversal because the kingdom of God is real. And you might feel pain and suffering in this life, but i got to tell you something. This is just a, a glimmer of life, but tell you what, everlasting life is a long time. And I can guarantee you, there's a whole lot of hope in heaven. And so when we look at this, if you look at the Beatitudes and you look at them as kind of this block, once again, Jesus is once again trying to teach the people that you might find a sense of hopelessness, but I'm trying to give you, there is a deeper sense of hope for your life. And someday things are going to be reversed. We call that the great reversal. No wonder reason why Jesus gives us this great story about the rich man and Lazarus, right? That's a great reversal. Once upon a time, there's a guy whose name is Lazarus, and he's, um, he's like a beggar, and he's, there's a guy who's the rich guy who has this big posh palace, and so Lazarus is just gladly would have been fed, eat, eaten what the dogs were going to eat. As a matter of fact, he was just a pathetic, um, in a pathetic state as Jesus tells the story, and then eventually they both die. And then Jesus says, it's this great reversal. So when we look at this, you look at the Beatitudes, the very beginning, Jesus is teaching, once again, to try to give people a sense of hope. The second thing that Jesus talks about, so we have that first part. Then we go to the, what we call the kingdom of mission. And so Jesus refers to our mission, and he gives this great teaching about salt and light. He says, you are the salt of the earth, right? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But in this, and when he teaches on the um, Sermon on the Mount, he says, you and I are the light of the world. What does that mean? Okay, so what's really interesting when you think about the idea about salt, salt, what does salt do? By the way, I looked this up. This is really important because salt obviously adds seasoning. Um, uh, I don't know if you all realize this, but on July 14th, which is last Friday, it was this last Friday, it was a monumental day. It was called National French Fry Day. Let me just tell you something. French fries are, are okay, but you got to add salt to them in order to, to make them any good. Can I make that on that? I'm just telling you, French fries are just basically worthless unless you add salt to them. Okay. So, so the idea, what Jesus is teaching, what was Jesus teaching about our mission? He's saying, you know, um, salt adds goodness. Add, salt adds flavor. Um, and, and so when we are called as to be his disciples, we're, at, we're called to add goodness into the world, into his kingdom. Can they amen on that? The idea that salt also not only is it add goodness into the world, the way that we live our lives, but also salt preserves life. So how can we, once again, live into the vision that Christ has to us that we cannot destroy life, but we add, can preserve life, the sanctity and the goodness of life? So Jesus says, hey, listen, you and I, we're all called to be salt of the earth, to be salty for the kingdom of God. So salt adds flavor. Salt can add value to life. Salt can add preserving. And he also goes on to say in this teaching, he says, listen, what good is salt when it loses all saltiness? Jesus is really clear. He says it's worth nothing. And it kind of reminds me of that story where Jesus, once again, um, talks about the parables of the talent, right? So there's a guy who's got um, one talent, one guy gets, and, he, and then one guy has two talents, and one guy has five, and Jesus reverses the whole thing, and the guy who has five gets ten, the one who has two has, makes four, and the one who has one, he bears it whole, and he does absolutely nothing with his talent. 
So Jesus, once again, hones in the importance of we have a mission. God's equipped us and empowered us to add goodness uh, to life. Then he goes on and talks about light. And I, thought, I think that's really interesting because, once again, Jesus talked about him being the light of the world. But he says, yeah, listen, we are called to be the light of the world. And what does light do? It, once again, it, adds, it, it helps us to be able to have clarity. It helps us see clearly the path in which Christ has called us to be. Um, and we need light to be able to, once again, see the direction we are headed. Um, a matter of fact, this last week, I, I, my, I, I just want you to know, a cell phone is just amazing, isn't it? Uh, so, like, you can call anybody in the world at any time, right? Uh, you, can, uh, you can Google uh, anything you want to know. You can pull up. You have all these apps. You can, you know, have your airline tickets on here. And it's just amazing what you can do with this little, little box, right? But you know what I found? The, one of the coolest features on my little phone uh, is a flashlight. It's, you know, it's so handy, isn't it? So uh, the other day I was over at my mom's house and she said, you know, Harold Ray, my ice maker's working and I need some help with that. And I'm like, good luck on that. I'm just a preacher. I have no idea how to fix a, uh, uh, ice maker. So I went over and then her, uh, her uh, somehow her, the, the cartridge to be able to, to filter for, she couldn't quite get that out. So I'm literally, I, I don't know who designed her refrigerator, but he was an idiot. And so I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, so, you know, the filter is not like somewhere you could easily, you have to literally, I literally had to lay on the floor in order to try to get the filter out. And I said, Mom, I, she says, is that hurting your back? And I was like, yes, it is. Oh, just get up. And I said, no, it's okay. I'm already down here now. And so anyway, I got my flashlight out. I'm trying to figure it out. And I was completely uh, uh, hopeless, you know. And so, but in, in, interesting how important it is to be able to have light. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, but he's called us to be light into this world. And here's another example about light. You know, light, I love this image, light pushes back darkness. And we're called to be Christ's hands, feet, and voice in the world. And so what I love and what's so powerful is that we talked about, and just a few minutes ago, Angie gave these different announcements. So uh, last week we talked a little bit about, you know, putting together 10,000 meals for people who are hungry in the world. So, you know, I don't think that the, when God put the world together that he intended for people to have to starve to death. So there are resources, and we have so many great means to be able to push back darkness. And this is just another example of living in the vision that Christ placed upon our church to try to alleviate pain and suffering in the world. So there is something about light and pushing back the darkness. So then Jesus talks about light, he talks about salt, he talks about the idea, and I also love the idea about this image of, he um, says, a city on the hill can't be hidden. And, and you know what I, I love about that image is that, um, you know, I don't realize that the new covenant is in the daily sun a lot. And, and so, you know what I love about, it? we are just the church that's hidden behind Publix. There's something more to this than just the church that's hidden behind Publix. And so when I look at the Daily Sun, and we're almost in there about almost every, you know, maybe once or twice a week, there's something that our church is doing. It, once again, it represents that we are, once again, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. We continue to be the light unto the community in the world. 
Okay, so the third thing that Jesus talks about in the um, Sermon on the Mount is he talks, and we have this part called kingdom ethics. And so he talks about, I say, hey, listen, I say, unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So the people are probably thinking, once again, Jesus is raising the bar, right? He doesn't lower the bar. He raises the bar. And so many people are thinking, oh, my gosh, how can Jesus continue to raise the bar? I can't live in these expectations of this. As a matter of fact, he's now he's asking me, I'm supposed to be holier than a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were either the elite elite. They were like the holiest people I could ever imagine. I can't imagine. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to be better than the Pharisees? Wow, how can I ever live up to that? And so I think there's something very powerful that, once again, Jesus doesn't lower the bar. He doesn't set the bar low, but Jesus raises the bar for all of us to live our lives. And even though, even though, even though, I think Pastor Ellen just talked about this in a prayer, is that even though sometimes in our lives that we strive to be able to raise the bar and hit these expectations that Jesus has laid, for, laid out for us in the Sermon on the Mount, we totally mess up. Uh, we, and this is the beautiful thing that we believe in our, in our Wesleyan theology and our love is that come heavily down in our, in our Wesleyan theology about grace, that Christ continues to offer us grace in the midst of our hope and despair, even then when we mess up. So then he talks, and so this idea of kingdom ethics, and he, he talks about the idea about murder, but then also the context has to do with the idea of anger and, and this resentment that we have for other people. And I don't know about you all, but... There have been times in which people have really um, hurt me, and I sometimes I have anger towards people. I'm just owning that. And so there's somebody who's really hurt me in my life. And so every once in a while, what happens is I have a tendency to bring that person back up. You know what my wife says to me over and over again whenever I bring it back up? She says, Harold, let it go. Does anybody always have that problem besides me? And I, God bless my wife. She continues to humble me and remind me, you know what? It's just there. You know, the idea about not even holding on to this kind of anger and resentment, but just to be able to let it go. Then he goes, goes from this part about anger. Then he goes to the idea about adultery. And I think this is really important. You think of the idea that what Jesus says, hey, and like about he raises the bar. Jesus says, hey, if a, if a guy goes and starts lusting after a person and he doesn't even, even act on it, but just sees this person, starts having this lust in his heart, he's already committed adultery. Wow, that's raising the bar, isn't it? And what is Jesus talking about? What was Jesus thinking when he says this? He said, listen, if, what happens is it just starts with a thought. And the thought turns to some kind of seed in your heart. And then maybe this thought turns from a seed to your heart, and it grows, and it continues to grow, and it comes to infatuation, and it moves into an action. And the action ends up destroying your relationship with your spouse or your children or your family or your whole career. But it all starts with a thought. And Jesus says, stay away from that thought. Wow. That's powerful, isn't it? Who says that? Jesus. What is Jesus doing? He's raising the bar. And then Jesus goes on and says, hey, listen, if your eye actually causes you to stumble, man, pluck it out. And then he goes, hey, listen, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. And does he really mean that? No, it's hyperbole, right? Hyperbole means it's exaggeration. But he's saying, listen, you don't want to go from here to here to here because if you start out here and then you end up here, this is disaster. And then Jesus talks about divorce. 
And, um, you know, Jesus spends more time talking about that than a lot of other topics that we think that Jesus talked about. But he actually talks about divorce here. And so what's interesting, if you go back to 2,000 years ago, if a guy, and this goes back to the law of the of Moses, and he talks about divorce. Moses talks about divorce. And so uh, back in that patriarch society, a husband could say, listen, if I don't want to, if my wife doesn't fulfill my expectations, I can just divorce her. The woman couldn't do that to the husband, but husband could do that to the, uh, for, uh, to the wife. And he could say, I'm done with you. Give her a divorce. So guess what happens to the woman? She has no livelihood. She has no one to take care of her, and she's held in oppression. She's on the street. She has no hope. So Jesus is, once again, trying to hold things in check and say, listen, it just seems so ridiculous that you could just say, I'm done with my wife, and then move on with your life and maybe go pick up another wife because this wife doesn't satisfy you. And Jesus says, that's the wrong thing to do. And then Jesus starts talking about oaths and about swearing on these oaths. And there's the back, back in the first century, you can have these different levels of oath. And you could swear like on the temple or you could swear on the different parts of the temple. And there's this whole kind of part of swearing on having these oaths. And Jesus finally says, cut it out. Stop doing that. Let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. That's what Jesus says. In other words, just don't fool around and, and, and kind of um, think that, you know, what, I, you know, I make a promise on this. He says, don't do that. He says, let your cut out, let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. And don't try to manipulate the truth is what Jesus says. And then Jesus talks about an eye for an eye for a tooth for a tooth. That's in there also. And what that whole thing, you go back 2,000 years ago, in other words, it's, it's actually a way to be able to limit retaliation in another person's life. So in other words, if you, uh, if you knock my eye out, then I could go and knock your eye out. And if you knock my teeth out, I can go knock your teeth out. So there is a sense of, ex there's an expectation about retaliation, about hitting people or striking out to people. And Jesus finally says, hey, listen, revenge is no good. Came in on that. Revenge is no good. Trying to get even, it just doesn't do any good for anybody. So this whole thing, we have this, these principles that Jesus is teaching, not only about divorce and about plucking your eye out and eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, the O's, all these amazing things. And, you know, when I, when I think about revenge or anger or anger issues, I, I actually think about uh, four words. The first one is roundabouts. And the second one is social media. So, you know, so often nowadays, and we live in this culture and this society where people can just lash out and spew all this stuff on social media, and it's just a little text away. And you don't have to take any responsibility for that, but you can go and hurt people over and over again. And so the last few things I share with you, he talks about kingdom spirituality. And he talks about, you know, be careful that you don't practice your religion in front of other people to draw attention to yourself. Um, and someday he says, if you do, uh, you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven if you basically exploit it. So in other words, he's saying if you're going to fast, fast, but you don't have to make a big deal about it. If you're going to pray, don't make an ex exploit the idea of prayer and draw attention to yourself. If you're going to be able to give something to another human being to be able to help the poor, don't make a big deal about it. And I love this quote this last week. He ultimately, he's saying our spirituality so easily become, can become a tool for our own narcissism. Jesus says, cut it out. And then Jesus talks about money too. Oh yeah, it's in there. And he says, listen, you can't serve two masters just doesn't work. 
Matter of fact, you know, I mentioned we had our unstuck group, and there was a group of people that were together from our church, some of our lay people, some of our leadership. And I will tell you, when Tony walked in that day, I mean, he asked us a very good question. It was kind of like an icebreaker. He says, hey, listen, um, why don't we just begin to kind of get to know each other? And I thought it was a really good question. He says, um, what are you most proud of? So everybody went around the room and said, what are you most proud of? And so, um, you know, it was interesting how people answered that question. No one in that room, and I know there were some very successful people in that room. I know some people in that room have made a lot of money in that room. But when they answered that question, nobody in that room had anything to say that they're proud about how much money they made. It was about relationships. It was about their families. It was one person talked about how that they were most proud of their grandchild. I talked about how my children love each other. Another person talked about how they raised their children to be able to love the Lord. And it just came from all different aspects. And I thought, man, that is really powerful. Which someone, and that's a great question, isn't it? What are you most proud of in your life? Does that have anything to do with money? Or does it have to do with your love for God, your love for your family, your love for your community? And the last few things is that Jesus says, hey, listen, don't worry. I mean, oh, man, that's a tough one for me. I don't know about you, but he says, hey, listen, you can't do this. And he says, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Um, he says, listen, don't get consumed with your worry because, you listen, in other words, you know what I think Jesus is getting at there, folks? I think that Jesus is saying, can you just, can you just surrender whatever you got and surrender it to me and let me work with it? You don't have to hold on to that. Last night, I was um, sitting right down there, and my wife says, um, the very, like, uh, we had already started in praise and worship, and she says, oh, we need to go to the altar and pray. And I said, okay, we can do that. So she walks over there, and we go to the, over there, and she gave this most beautiful prayer for one of our children who's just struggling. And you know what? I don't know about you all, but I worry about my kids. But it was just sort of a simple little reminder of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about trying, Harold, do you really trust me? Are you really, really surrendering to me? Are you willing to raise the bar? And then Jesus goes on this last little part, and he talks about judgmentalism. I love the idea about judgmentalism. He says, and this is classic Jesus, hey, listen, why are you so focused on the, the splinter in your neighbor's eye when you don't understand the log in your own eye? Jesus. I mean, that's just such classic Jesus, isn't it? Hey, listen, he's saying, don't judge other people. And he goes into the idea of a golden rule. He says, hey, listen, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's just classic Jesus. And then you get to the very end, the very end of the last part of Jesus says. He says, and he says you know, um, so go through the narrow gate. The gate that leads to destruction is broad and road is wide. So many people enter through it. But the gate that leads to life is narrow and the road is difficult and so few actually find it. I mean, that's so great. Once again, it's so powerful that Jesus is saying, listen, what I'm, I'm sharing with you all, if you live the way that I'm asking you to live your life and to follow the example I'm giving to you about the kingdom of God, I'm telling you, it's not going to be easy. It's a challenge. But I'm telling you, I didn't, Jesus is saying, I didn't set the bar low. I raised the bar. Because we aren't going to settle for mediocre. 
we're striving for excellence. We're striving for the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this will be added unto you. Can I amen on that? Jesus. And then you get to the very end, the very end, and then Jesus says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't uh, put them into practice will be like a fool who built a house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew it down and beat against the house, and it fell, and it was completely destroyed. And what's very interesting, I didn't notice until this week, and that last little part, that last little section of the Sermon on Mount, Jesus talks about the foolish person and the wise person. You can either be foolish or you can be wise. And he gives us this direction from A to Z on the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. You know what I started to think about this last week? When uh, Dick Fosbury started doing that high jumping thing, he did everything wrong. He jumped off the wrong foot. He was jumping backwards. And I guarantee you, when people saw him doing that, they thought, man, what a fool. How foolish for him to be able to do that. But you know what happens when sometimes somebody changes something and revolutionizes something and makes it actually better? Can you show that last picture? They actually build them. Can you put that last picture up? Possibly. They build them a monument. Yeah, they build them a monument. When you win the gold medal and you revolutionize something nobody's ever done before, they build a monument for you. So I'm here to tell you, Jesus wasn't about building a monument. Jesus was about building a movement for the kingdom of God. And we are all called to raise the bar for the kingdom of God. Amen.